Our passage this morning is Proverbs chapter 28, and that will include verses 1 through 28, the whole of that proverb. If you'd like to follow along with the Pew Bible there, that's page 549. As you can hopefully tell from the place where we're reading God's Word, that we are resuming our summer series on wisdom. Uh, And as we do so, we'll look at the issue of money this morning, of wealth and blessing. So let's attend together to the blessing and the riches of God's Word. May He bless it to our hearing and understanding. Proverbs 28, 1-28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When a land transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. A poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart shall fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he hates unjust gain, will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says there is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Before I pray, I just wanted to comment a little bit about spending time in wisdom literature. And as we prepare to look at our passage this morning, as I've done in other weeks, I will be referencing other parts of Scripture, a number of other Proverbs. Uh, Chapter 28 is uh, a place where the issue of wealth and riches uh, has a stronger uh, collection of verses, uh, but there are a few other passages that do as well. But one of the things that we note uh, in the Proverbs particularly is that uh, different topics and different themes are, are sprinkled throughout. And so as I cite these other verses, uh, some of you who are note-takers uh, will be wanting to write down the references, and some of you who enjoy uh, looking at the, all the passages will want to flip back and forth. And if you're able to do so, fine and good. But the point is not for you to add more notes or to have more references, but really what we're doing is we're acknowledging that the main rule for understanding Scripture is Scripture. And as we have these different themes and ideas and reflections on this topic and other topics, uh, we don't want to just focus in on the little points. We want to step back and see the larger picture of what God is doing. And so as I reference different verses from different areas of Proverbs, uh, to the extent that you can follow, fine and good. But don't feel... uh, pressure to do so. I'd rather you hear the connections between these passages and the themes as they work together than get caught up in flipping back and forth. With that said, let me ask that the Lord would bless us as we seek to understand his word better. Gracious God, my role here is to be a servant, to serve you in faithful preaching of your word, to serve your people by being used of you to feed them by placing before them the bread of life in your word. Lord, would you help me to be a faithful servant? Would you help me to not stumble or trip in this work? And Lord, where I fail and fall short, would your spirit in power still bless your people? This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm not inviting you to raise hands, but just... Answer the question to yourself, do you have a smartphone? I don't think everyone in this room does, but the vast majority of us do, and the vast majority of us that do probably remember a time when we didn't. So let me just ask this question for you to reflect. Are smartphones good? Are smartphones bad or evil? Are they neutral? And it all depends on what we choose to do with them, what we choose to look up, what apps we have. Let me ask a different question. How has having a smartphone changed the way that you live? The way that you do things? Regardless of your feeling, regardless of whether you think that smartphones are are social ills or social goods or purely neutral tools dependent on the user, we can't escape the fact that smartphones and their existence in our lives changes the way that we live. The information that we choose to memorize versus what we're content to merely look up as we need it. It's changed us physically. 
more and more chiropractors and physical therapists are treating people for neck disorders from constantly looking down at phones. However we're using them, our phones are shaping us by their existence in our lives. Just as working in offices has changed work, our postures, and the physical ailments that we are treated for by doctors. Oftentimes when we talk about money, when we bring money into the realm of our walk with God and faith, we start by asking, what is biblical wisdom for what to do with our money? What should we spend our money on? How do we build wealth wisely? What should we do with money? But beyond what to do with money, biblical wisdom invites us to consider what money does to us. What a lack of money and a desire for more does to us, what an abundance of wealth and riches does to us. And in fact, I think the theme of Scripture, the ministry of Jesus' wisdom brought to us in the Gospels, pushes us far more to think about not what we are to do with our money, but first, what money does to us. And so this morning, I'm not going to talk about percentages of tithing or how much to put away in your 401k, how much money is enough. This morning, I'm going to invite us to pay attention to what the wisdom of God's word says about the nature of money and its presence in our life. And from there, to ask what God would have us do in response. So we need biblical wisdom. We need biblical wisdom because money is a complex, difficult issue. We have economics departments to try to talk about what's happening with money in the world. We go to financial counselors to tell us what to spend our money on. As someone who does premarital counseling, one of the things that we cover in premarital counseling always is money because it is one of the primary things that couples can fight about. And yet it's something that we often don't want to talk about. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, talks about the idols and sins that we struggle with in life, and yet says greed and our issues with money is one of the things that we talk about the least. That when he's given lectures about our, the seven deadly sins, that greed is the least attended of those lectures. We don't need biblical wisdom for how a swing set works. It's basic. But when it's complicated... When our understanding is weak, God gives us wisdom to see things more clearly when we would be otherwise confused or lacking. And so as we pay attention to this passage and other passages from the wisdom literature that God has given us, one of the things that we first need to understand is that wealth has power. That money has power. I'm not going to say everything that money has the power and capacity for. But I do want to talk about some things that are provided for us in our passage. First of all, money or wealth has the power to provide. Verse 19 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Poverty or a lack means we're hungry. 
we don't have enough. We're, we're struggling. But work, which produces wealth, is the means by which God provides for us. Now, we often t- think of wealth through the lens of money, through cash or currency, through a bank account, and that is true in some ways in Scripture, but more often, wealth was in resources. It was in a good crop. It was in land that you could then use uh, to build bumper crops that you could then sell, or the accumulation of houses or clothes. Whether it's cold, hard cash, whether it's investments, whether it's property, wealth is a tool by which we can get what we need. Wealth provides, whether food or clothing or shelter. And thus we are encouraged, when it comes to the issue of wealth, to work. If you expect to eat, if you expect to have enough wood for the fire in a cold New England winter, you need to work to produce the abundance that you need to survive. Wealth has the power to provide for our needs. And so we're encouraged to work. Chapter 12, verse 27 of Proverbs, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Wealth has a power to bless. First of all, it has the power to bless us. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Ecclesiastes 7.14, which we looked at when we looked at the issue of death, it says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Recognize that prosperity, that wealth, is a reason to give thanks. It is something good. But also, wealth gives us the opportunity to bless others. Our passage encourages us not to spend time just in attaining what we need, but to be blessed by blessing others. So wealth has the power to provide for us. It encourages us. It's, a, it's an impetus to work so that we can provide for ourselves. It has the power to bless us. Wealth has the power to protect. Ecclesiastes 7.12 compares wisdom and wealth. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. If you have wealth, you can build a strong home. If you have wealth, you can pay for security guards or armies to protect what you have. We can protect our health by investing in the resources, by going to the gym, by buying healthier food, by being able to go to doctors. Wealth has a lot of power. If we don't pay attention to the power of wealth, of finances, of riches in our lives and the lives of others, we are discounting the biblical description of the way that wealth works in the world. It has the power to influence. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many new friends. Proverbs 14.20, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Wealth can make us attractive in the eyes of other people especially if we are generous with our wealth. If we're prone to bless others, then they will see us as a blessing. They will want to be close to us. And therefore, with that power to bring influence, wealth often puts people in positions of power or of being in charge. 
Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. This begins to open up the darker reality of the power of wealth, because it has the power to corrupt. Proverbs 17.8, a bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Whoever he turns, wherever he turns, he prospers. Notice the prevalence of the issue of money in our passage. It's talking about how we're not supposed to get our money by charging interest upon our brothers. It warns us of trying to get our wealth quickly. A faithful man will abound in blessings. It talks about integrity versus riches. And as this passage in Proverbs 28 reflects on the issue of wealth and what it does to us and what we're supposed to do with it, it is enmeshed with discussions of power and governance. It's talking about wicked leaders. When the land transgresses, it has many rulers as opposed to stability. It speaks of oppression of the poor. It speaks of evil men who do not understand justice. It begins to make sense that if money has the power to influence and attract people, then it has the power to give us power over other people and therefore the power to corrupt. To corrupt others and corrupt ourselves. Bribes and the power to control others through our wealth and our riches points us to the reality of of where idolatry can begin to set in. Like so many good things in life, like relationships, like work, like health, financial well-being can be twisted by giving it the ultimate place of trust and dependence in our lives. Because it is so powerful over resources, over other forms of power, over people, we can begin to look to the power of wealth to provide for us first and foremost in life. And therefore, it begins to become an idol. Because the power of money so very often has the power to supply what we want. And this is what often causes us to miss the effect of money in our lives. Few of us, when it comes to the issue of money, are seeking to be like Scrooge McDuck in the old cartoons, who just gained all the gold he could in a big vault so he could delight in how much money he had and swim through his gold coins. Almost none of us would view ourselves as wealthy or abundant or greedy because few of us are first and foremost focused on the accumulation of wealth in and of itself. But what we do want is a good future for our children. We want them to experience a variety of things, a variety of sports, a variety of cultural opportunities, of travel, of good education, hockey, and piano lessons, and private schools cost money. We want to be healthy and enjoy our lives. Yet, buying vegetables and good quality food is expensive. Going to a gym or getting 
advice or a personal trainer is expensive. The, the lotions and the, the medications, expensive. We want to enjoy God's world. But man, it's, it's often more enjoyable when we're sitting on a 20-foot boat to enjoy it. And so very often, what we're wanting is not money, but other good things that money tells us it can get for us. And, and so it's, it's like a consigliore, right? You, you think of these mafia families, and you think of often the mafia dons, the, the heads of the family, but so very often, there is the power behind the power. The one who can get things done. And this is what money and wealth often offers itself. See, I can, I can get you food for your table. Wouldn't it be nice if I could fill your pantry? I, I can pay for school. Wouldn't it be nice if your kids had a future that was set? I, I can protect you against a rainy day. Wouldn't it be nice to know that your, your children would never have to work a day in their lives? Or that you could live a retirement without worry? And so some people will say, well, well, money can be such an idol. Well, I just want to reject money. I want to be free from it. Even if we do that, we cannot be free of the things that money often provides. To, to reject money doesn't mean that we no longer need food. We no longer need shelter. We, we no longer need security. This is why wisdom is not a rejection of money. It's not a rejection of wealth. Nor do we even see Jesus rejecting money. He has rich followers as well as poor. Judas is charged with caring for the money bags that finance the ministry. It cannot escape its power, but if we're to be wise in God's world, we cannot ignore its power. And thus we are to take seriously its power to do good and to do ill, and so very often, the power to convince us of its necessity in our lives. And so if we were to take its power seriously, one of the things we need to do is take seriously what wealth or what money says about itself and the power that it has. That is, wisdom from God's word helps expose the lies of wealth and riches. Now when I say that wealth lies. I'm not saying that a pile of cash, a good stock portfolio, or a silo full of wheat lies. But what I'm saying is that an abundance of provision, an abundance of money or other things, is an opportunity for us to project the deceitfulness of our hearts or to be ensnared by the deceitfulness of the evil one. We're reminded in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That the book of Revelation talks about the fact that, that as the Christians were wrestling against Rome, that the issue wasn't just Rome and its economic might, but it was the spiritual darkness and idolatry that animated the empire under which the Christians suffered. And so we need to treat the power of wealth seriously 
by examining its claims and asking, are these claims true? Because if money can do so much, one of the things we will be tempted to believe is that it is the greatest good. If I have enough money, then I can have enough security. I can have a bright future. I can have health. I can have prosperity, however defined. But Proverbs 28 says there are better things. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Money will insidiously claim to be the greatest good, but Proverbs said it is better to walk in integrity. Proverbs 22, another chapter that reflects often on the issue of wealth, says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The wisdom of God's word exposes the lies of wealth, that wealth is the greatest good. God's wisdom also exposes the lie that wealth tells that we don't need others. Wealth will often work to deny our creatureliness. That is, that we are dependent on God and one another. Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, the main focus of Proverbs 19.4 is probably not where we get the wealth, but it just assumes that often wealth and riches are not things that we suddenly by our own power and strength, are able to create for ourselves, but it's dependent on our families. We are made by God. This is His world, and the ability to live in this world, the ability to work unto wealth, is dependent on what God has given. Psalm 147.1 reminds us, He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. The wisdom of Psalm 147 is that prosperity ultimately comes from the Lord. You can work diligently in the fields and do everything right and have it be destroyed by the weather. You can invest wisely and prudently and lose your investments because of war and economic downturn. Jesus talks about the fact that our riches can be stolen. Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Because as soon as we begin to believe that we're not dependent on God, that we're not dependent on others if we have enough wealth, we tend to believe the lie that we're invincible, that if we just have enough money, everything will be okay. But Jesus encourages us to lay up our treasures not in earth, but in heaven. Because our treasures are still vulnerable. Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. The assumption is, if I have enough money, I will be protected. Yet, how many people who have an abundance are even more exposed by their wealth? Who gets kidnapped? Is it, is it poor people from whom people demand ransoms? Is, is it typically someone who has little, whose house is broken too? No, people go in search of treasure and riches, and so often our treasures and riches invite attack rather than protect us from it. 
Perhaps most concerning is what money lies about with regard to our justification, to whether we are a good person or not. Now, one of the things that we are told is that riches are often a blessing from the Lord, that God blesses a faithful person. But we can distort the truth that wealth or riches can often be a reflection of God's favor and blessing to turning blessing and riches into the definition of God's favor. That we can't be loved and cared for and pleasing to God if we're not rich. And we can distort it, therefore, to say that if we have wealth and riches, that must be an indication that God is pleased with us. But Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Or Proverbs 22.2, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Being poor does not make us righteous in the eyes of God. It doesn't make us bad in the eyes of God either. Being rich and wealthy does not make us poor and bad in the eyes of God, nor does it mean we are justified. But wealth tends to tell us, look what you've accomplished. Look what you've earned. How could you earn so much if you weren't a good person? It seems to be why the indication is that those who hasten after wealth as verse 22 says, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon it, is we assume that we know that we're smarter, that we're better, that we're a good person. And so if wealth is the measure of our goodness, then wealth lies about our standing before God and for others. And wealth, by doing so, tends to lie to us about the value of others. Proverbs 28, what we're reading, verse 11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes. He thinks he knows things. But a poor man has understanding and will find him out. Or verse 8 of the same chapter, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for, who, it for him who is generous to the poor. The implication of those first two verses is when we hasten after riches, when we want our wealth, one of the ways we will do it is by charging interest and profit, trying to earn the most that we can after others. And if wealth defines what's good, the good life, and we feel justified in being wealthy because it tells us we're good, then that begins to change the people around us into, into commodities to make us rich. A faithful man will abound with blessings, says verse 20, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. The implication is the easiest ways to get rich quickly usually involve cheating or using people. So for all the power that wealth has, for good and for ill, is often a deception to us about our standing before God, about our place in the world, about what it is able to provide for us. It deceives us into thinking it's the greatest good. 
that we don't need others or God in our creatureliness, that we're invincible if we have enough wealth we will never need. We begin to think of ourselves as good because look what I have earned, look what I have brought for myself, and therefore to think untruth of others. So biblical wisdom wisdom is revealing to us the story that wealth talks. As the saying goes, money talks. And it tells a story of power, of capability. But wealth also lies about the extent of that power. Because for all of its power, for all of its influence, it will never give us what we really want, what we are often using wealth seeking. That is peace. Money says, if you have enough of me, you will have peace from worry, peace from harm, peace from having to rely on others. But it cannot and it does not give us what it claims to. In fact, money and its accumulation often lead away from peace. That's why wisdom warns us. In Proverbs 23, 4, it says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. And notice it uses the word toil there. Remember, this is, this is the curse that we find out about in Genesis 3. We, we work. We're meant to work. But work has become toil in so many cases. And so while work is good, toil is not. And what happens is rather than working to provide for what we need, we begin to toil and to degrade and to harm and hurt ourselves in acquiring wealth, not knowing when to stop. Or as Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. The calculus of being wealthy says, if you have more, then you have more. Yet the wisdom of Scripture says, for all of that pursuit, by being stingy and holding on, you actually have less. Because you're believing the lie that wealth will provide you peace and you're always looking for that ultimate assurance that you have enough. And instead of wealth, we should be instead seeking what wealth claims to offer but cannot give that peace and contentment. And so the wise man in Proverbs chapter 30 prays this. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then he prays, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Believing the lie, I don't need God, I'm in charge, I have what I need. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of of my God. Instead of seeking power over wealth to gain peace, we find that peace and contentment comes when we are free from the power of wealth over us. Whether in seeking to attain it or holding on to what we have. But if God's word exposes the story that wealth is telling us, that money is telling us, that it can give us what we want, but that's a lie, then we need to replace that story with a better one. 
And that better story is hinted at in that prayer in Proverbs 30 that I just read. That we find contentment and peace, not in wealth, but in the God who gives us whatever wealth we have. Now, the wisdom that we're reading about with regard to wealth points us to a better and truer story than what wealth itself says. And this is where we need to remember that biblical wisdom does not exist in a vacuum. Proverbs is part of the whole of God's word. And as you recall, at the opening of the book of Proverbs, where we started with our first week looking into the series about wisdom, we are reminded that knowledge and wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And yet, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you know what you won't find a lot about? Who God is. What He has done. What He has promised. There's hints there. There's reflections. There's allusions But the assumption behind the book of Proverbs in trying to figure out the way to live in this world is that you know something about this world and where it came from. That you have a picture of the larger story of the God who made the world, the God who called the people to himself, who has made promises to his people. The way that we understand this wisdom with regard to wealth is to place it within the context of God's larger story. And so what we've read about wealth needs that story for context. On one hand, it has. Wealth has the power to provide and bless. And one of the ways we gain for ourselves the wealth necessary to provide and to bless is is to work for it. This reflects from where the story of Scripture starts, that God made the world. That God made us. That he made a beautiful and bountiful garden. That he placed Adam and Eve in the garden to tend it, to keep it, to work it. So that they could produce from the abundance of God more abundance. And in so doing, be a reflection of God's blessed character. And so the power of wealth as a provision for us reflects the fact that God made a good and orderly world. In which through our work, we can benefit from God's abundance. Adam and Eve were meant to work and produce that in reflection of God. Yet, as the wisdom literature has also revealed, wealth is a vehicle for deceit. And it changes blessing into a curse upon ourselves and others. It reflects the next move in the greater story. That though God gave Adam and Eve the fruit from every tree and plant that he placed in the garden to eat from, Yet because he said there was one one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they couldn't eat from, that the evil one used this to deceive Adam and Eve into seeing themselves as lacking instead of abundantly wealthy in God's provision. All they could see was not the abundance that they walked with God, that the garden was theirs, that they had dominion over the earth, that they could eat from the fruit of any tree. All they could see was I'm missing just this piece. And so they took from the tree. And in taking to make themselves wealthy according to their assumptions, what they ended up doing was they impoverished themselves so that work is no longer fruitful, but it's only fruitful through toil. 
where they impoverished themselves of the ability to walk with God. They lost contentment. They lost productivity. And in a world in which everything had been given to them, by choosing to take instead, they brought a curse upon themselves and us. Now we find ourselves so often enslaved to money, or at least what money claims to offer. But instead of giving, money instead makes us slaves to serve it. Money, though, can't free us for our service to it. It can't free us from ultimate want. It can't free us from death. It can't free us from loneliness. It can't free us from shame. It can't free us from guilt. It cannot free us from sin. So what happens? God gives out of his abundance. He gives a promise of restoration. From the very beginning, God says he will crush the head of the serpent. And then he begins to work restoration through his people, calling a people to himself, preserving a good line so that from those people he could give his son to do what we can't, to do what wealth can't, what the power that comes with wealth cannot accomplish, to live perfectly before God, to die in our place for our sins and rise again from the dead so that we could. God creates, we take and bring curse, but God gives again for the sake of restoration. Just as he gave the world and gave of the world to Adam and Eve, now he gives his son to the children of Adam and Eve so that we could share again in God's abundance. The blessing and wealth of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins, of life without sorrow, death, Wealth where rust cannot bring decay and thieves cannot break in. And the way that we receive that wealth is not by attaining it, by not, not by working for it, not by buying it. The only way we can attain this gift is with empty hands that receive it in trust and faith. And having received that gift, that rich gift, more precious richer than any other treasure in this world, we are transformed into what God has made us to be in the first place, recipients of his blessed gifts, his abundant wealth, with the purpose of making others wealthy and abundant in knowing him. Jesus saves us from our sins, and as he rises from the grave, he tells his disciples, go therefore into the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus says, you are forgiven. You are restored to the place of kings and queens like Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. So therefore, go and take. Take men and women. Go Therefore, and take power. Therefore, go and take riches that are due you as my people. No, he says, because you are made new and afresh in my image and the forgiveness of sins, go and give. The good news of the gospel. Go and give the name, the good name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the name of your wealth. Go and give the way of life in following my commands. We are transformed from those who are seeking wealth. And what wealth says it can give us to those who whatever amount of money we have or don't have 
are able to display the richness of God towards us. Rather than taking and hoarding, we are transformed to be like God, to be givers and sharers of the wealth that he has given us. When wealth would use us, when wealth would lie to us, when wealth's power would overpromise, God gives us his abundance, which frees us to give as he has given to us. This is the wisdom we need to live in God's world, in God's way, when it comes to wealth. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You give us wisdom. You give us our daily bread. You give us your word. Lord, would we live as those dependent on your gracious character so that we do not need to store up, nor do we need to fret about whether we will have enough tomorrow, but we can live today for the glorious, rich purpose of displaying your grace and mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.